Hewitt Docks, Lifts, and Pond Two Legs began in a small south-central Minnesota town with a mission to make dock install and removal easier by inventing the Rolla Dock. Well, now the company has evolved to provide everything you might need to improve your lake time. In addition to the classic Rolla Dock or the new Ultra Dock system, Hewitt offers all-terrain staircases, gangways, canopies, and lifts, along with any accessory you might need. Celebrate 50 years of business with us. Go to HewittRad.com to enter for a chance to win a free dock and monthly prizes. Hewitt Docks, lifts, and pontoon legs. Work hard, play harder. You deserve a Hewitt. Hi, everybody. Welcome to the Minnesota Bound podcast, the stories behind the stories. I'm Laura Shera, your host for today, and I'm looking forward to chatting with Inga Fromm. She uh, founded her own business called Positive Gun Dogs, and she is offering a resource for those looking for an alternative to traditional training methods for gun dog work and field sports. Inga, welcome to the podcast. Hi, it's great to be here today. Well, thank you for joining us. I um, look forward to chatting with you about your um, slightly different approach to more of a traditional training methods that are, are traditionally used. And how did you get into dog training? That's a long story. So it's Is like, it? where, do, where do you, where do you start with that? Right. You know, were you around um, dogs as, you know, as a young woman, of yeah. course, you're, you're an outdoors woman and an upland field hunter yourself. Yeah. So is that where yep. it started as a, is your childhood? Yeah, you know, I've had dogs, being raised with dogs as far back as I remember, but I didn't think about getting into this as a career. Um, so, you know, I worked um, at a vet clinic in college thinking, you know, this is just something that I do part time. Um, and then ended up working at a, a PetSmart part time while I was pursuing, you know, kind of my career choice at the time. Yeah. And you know, just started out that way, just, just for fun, just doing dog training for fun. Um, I didn't actually think that it would end up completely switching careers over into the, into this realm at all. And what were you doing? Uh, what was your other career besides before you got into dog training? Yeah, I went to school for law enforcement. So I ended up being a, a game warden in the state of Texas. And so completely, completely different area. And uh, when I moved back to Minnesota, um, I had to decide, you know, which route I was going to take. And I really loved working with dogs. I just didn't think that you could make a career out of it. So I ended up at a uh, local um, animal shelter and I did a mentorship under somebody there and then ended up at the Minnesota Valley Humane Society as their behavior expert for five years. Very cool. And <clears throat> so when you decided that you were going to get into dog training as a career, which I love because I, I love working with dogs too. When I was little, I would, um, I would compete in obedience and 4-H with, you know, our dogs. And I was always out in the backyard messing around with the hunting dogs and the labs that we had. And, um, I am very passionate about dog training. And I think, um, of course, as we know, a lot of it's more, um, working with the humans than it is the dogs and on how to speak the dog's language. But, um, it's so fun to see the transition in dogs and also they're such great students. So when you decided that you wanted to get into training in relation to gun dogs and field dogs, but you wanted to approach it through a different method, what was your 
you know, I guess your reasoning behind that and, and then we'll get into what your actual method is, but sure, kind of sure. why you, you chose a slightly different approach. Sure. Well, just like you, um, I was in 4-H. So I learned dog training when I was a kid in 4-H and it was very, you know, traditional training. Um, and then, you know, through the years when I ended up being a trainer at the Humane Society, I learned a different type of training, which is based on motivation or reward-based training, which was quite new to me. Um, and so learning that I was able to use that with the shelter dogs and working with the shelter dogs to help them become uh, more adoptable. And so we ended up starting Positive Gun Dogs of Minnesota because there was a trainer at the time, I think the only trainer at the time, this is back in like 2006, that was teaching positive reinforcement training for gun dogs. Um, and he was on the East Coast. His name was Jim, his name is Jim Barry. He's now retired. Um, I just decided, you know what, this would be really cool to try to learn positive reinforcement training with field dogs. So I went out to the East Coast and took a work- workshop with him. Very cool. And what is the approach when you say um, reward-based training? What does that mean for our listeners? Yeah, yeah. So it's basically taking a lot of the natural instincts of the dog and then also working with what motivates them. So dogs are motivated by things that the same like people. Um, people don't, don't work very well without motivation anyway, by the way, but, um, you know, dog, <laughs> yeah, dogs, same thing. So, you know, they work for different, they work for different things, whether it be food rewards, whether, whether it be, um, play rewards. So play rewards could be things like tug or fetch, or I guess in the gun dog world, we call fun bumpers yes. um, or just simply retrieving or doing what they were bred to do. So if we're looking at you know, field dogs, a lot of these dogs nowadays live in family homes with people that may not necessarily be doing things with them that they were bred to do. That's and correct. They can ca- that can cause problems, uh, behavioral problems. No, you're absolutely right. If, if a dog is not mentally stimulated specifically, you hear that a lot with um, huskies and specifically that if you are not uh, stimulating not only the physical side, but also the mental side of their brain of what they were traditionally bred for, they will be very destructive in your home. And and then a lot of people have a tendency to blame the dog when really it's a lot of times, in my opinion, the, the human's fault for not really yeah. engaging with their dog needs. It's so important when you buy a dog that you are conscious of, of stimulating and, and making sure their needs are met um, as much as they meet yours of being in the house and being your snuggle buddy or whatever, that you are also responsible for uh, meeting their needs too. Yep, absolutely. So positive reinforcement training um, with gun dogs is pretty rare. I think mostly because people just don't know how to apply it. Um, It's like any dog sport. um, You know, you have to learn the techniques for how to apply it um, in any given different dog sports that are out there. So if you think, okay, it's like you said with a Husky, what we're you know, what were they bred for? What would they be good at? Um, You know, the majority of my clients are sporting breed dogs, but they're, you know, given that I also teach field sports. So field sports can include things like working with a sporting breed dog that I'm never going to take hunting, but I wanted to do something that's similar to that to meet that dog's needs. So it could include like shed dog hunting or the mushroom hunting or whatever else. 
Very cool. So when you are specifically saying, you know, positive, what are some of the methods that you use for positive gun dog training? If we want to break it down into, for instance, how about just yeah. like, yeah, you hear force fetching. How, how do you apply yep. that sort of training method to your, the positive method? Yeah. So, um, we don't, in positive reinforcement training, we don't need to use the force fetch. We use something that's alternative. Um, I could use something that I call clicker training. So I would be using a clicker, which is what we call a bridge marker. And that's like a communication symbol to the dog. It tells the dog, when you hear this, you did exactly what I want you to do. And I'm going, you're going to get rewarded for that. So say I was working on something like retrieve. I might start with the last behavior of that sequence. And in a retrieve, we're looking at maybe holding the item in the mouth, in the mouth. So I have the dog sitting in front of me. I have my clicker. I may have my bumper or something like that. And I'm working on just having the dog hold the item. And then I'm clicking and then I'm offering a reward. So that could be food reward or play reward or whatever it is that's motivating the dog. And then I'm building up on that. And so we think of it as a behavior chain. So in a retrieve, there's multiple behaviors, not just one. So... Um, you have to work on each piece of the chain separately. So the last thing I do, the, what we call back chaining, which is the last item. So that's the hold. And then we may work on picking up. And then we may work on picking up from a distance, um, building kind of drive. But that gives you a good idea of how we would do it a little bit differently. Oh, interesting. So... Does this also apply as the field dogs get more advanced into blind retrieves and things like that? Does this approach still work for that typically? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, so when we're using a different methodology for training, it, it's really hard to plug into a different system. So you have to almost think about it as a completely new system and, and how we work things. So if I'm working on my retrieving skills, I'm actually going to be working on blind retrieves first, and which is a very different approach than you think of with traditional training. Oh, and I'm going to learn work. A, yeah, I'm going to learn work a lot more with scent work um, and the natural abilities of the dog. So, is it better that I start working with the puppies from the time they're eight weeks old? Yes, absolutely. Okay. Now, do you find? I've got so many questions for you. Do you find that, um, does this type of training require, I know all dog training requires patience. And sometimes that's where people, I think, fail a lot as if, you know, it takes a lot of patience and they lose patience and then you're kind of going backwards. But do you feel like this sure. type of training is requires a little bit more patience or does it take a longer time to get the, to the same point of where you want your field dog at? I think it's all about expectations, right? Um, sure. and, and what you're going to be doing with your dog. Uh, if this is something that, uh, I'm going to be doing with competition, it's a completely different ball game than, is this something that I want to do with my dog for rec recreational hunting? Or is it just, you know, I have a sporting breed dog and I want to teach them some field sports or some field skills. So it's all about the expectations. Um, and then also teaching the owner to work with their dog. There's nothing like a relationship between the dog and their owner. And that's the hard part, Laura, is teaching yep. the people. Because <laughs> I don't take dogs and train them for people. And that's always hard because I think traditionally any kind of field sports, 
it's a tradition that the dog would go away to be trained, whereas yes. I'm working more with the owner and that's frustrating. I bet that's challenging at times for sure. And you know, I think it, I agree with you. That is a really solid method because as much as, you know, when you send your dog away and they go to some wonderful places and they're, they get a lot of skill when they come back. If, if you don't have the skill yourself to understand how the dog w- was trained or what the, the, what the dog knows or doesn't know and really be consistent, I think then you see the regression of the dog and, um, then you see people who are frustrated in the field or they're yelling at their dogs, the dog's too far out in front of them. And, um, you know, it is a, a very interesting relationship. So I, I hundred percent could see how training the person and the dog together with you would be super beneficial, but at the same time, it probably adds a lot more challenges because I always feel like the humans have more challenges in the training than dogs do. Yep. That, that is correct. That's correct. Um, but it's a lot of fun. Pos- positive reinforcement training is a lot of fun. The worst thing that happens is they just don't get the reward. So sometimes if your timing is off, you know, the dogs can be a little bit frustrating. And then, you know, we have to teach the client, okay, you got to get better at timing. You got to get better <laughs> at learning the process. So yeah, can it take a little bit longer? Yes and no. Uh, like I said, it just depends on expectations. Sometimes I can teach a dog rather quickly if I'm doing it myself. Okay, that makes a lot of sense. Where do you feel that, you know, if you're giving tips on just general obedience, where do you think humans make the most mistakes? (laughs) I think they don't spend enough time with their dogs. Yeah. Um, and, And they don't understand the breed or breed mix tendencies. And we've really lost that, I think, within the last couple of years, that relationship with we have and understanding our dog's needs. Um, you know, making sure that the, the dogs have, you know, boundaries in training would include that relationship. So if, you know, I'm gone eight to 10 hours a day and I'm letting my dog out of the kennel or, you know, I'm coming home and they're like, gosh, this dog is really annoying me. Thinking about maybe that might be my fault. You know, exactly. am, I, am, I, am I exercising them mentally and physically? You know, did True, I get a right. Sheltie and I can't stand barking? That was probably not the best breed fit for me. Exactly. I do see that, um, that the expectation of the dog's behavior is um, kind of skewed because when you don't fulfill the dog's needs, you do have behaviors that you don't necessarily love and you start blaming the dog when in fact it really is um, your fault. And two, that people just assume that if they have a fenced in backyard or, and then you have a German short hair pointer that, well, I have a backyard. The dog can run around Mm -hmm. the backyard. That is basically putting your dog into a fishbowl or you into a fishbowl or a five by five room for the rest of your life. Like they're so bred to use their nose and, and get out and run that you owe it to the dog you know, if you want the behavior that you are looking for, um, that, you know, that you get that. So, um, yeah. Yeah. Very, I hear that a lot from my clients. They have a big backyard. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Well, once they smell that about two times, they're already (laughs) over it. Like they want something else to use their nose and hunt down or whatever else. Um, and, you know, I have a French bulldog. I don't have a field dog. And that is, oh boy. Um, and that is, <laughs> uh, yes, a Frenchie. They are, they're a funny breed. Um, they are super stubborn. 
And they're really independent thinkers and they're not bred to be people pleasing dogs. They're not a working breed. And my mm-hmm. dad, it's funny, you know, he has had labs, of course, his whole life, including all the ravens. And, you know, he is sometimes baffled at, he, you know, he'll have bacon. He might dog sit occasionally my parents and bacon will be in their backyard and he'll tell him to come and bacon will just sit and stare at him. <laughs> he doesn't run away. He just <laughs> stares. And he's like, you need to teach your dog, you know, recall or whatever. I'm like, <laughs> You realize, I mean, he is, but he's going to think about it for about three minutes and then he will run back to you. But they're uh, just, and he's just so, he thinks it's just so bizarre, but, um, yeah. but that's been an interesting, you know, I grew up with labs and, and again, was so used to the people pleasing dog and having really good, of course, um, exercise, discipline, affection type of format. That's fortunately my dad had a lot of that great <laughs> foundation for us as girls growing up with the dogs and making sure they weren't like, you know, jumping all over us and stuff. But going to the French bulldog has been um, an mm-hmm. interesting switch, but also it's been great for me in learning how to communicate differently with expectations. And mm-hmm. um, at the same time, sometimes I think he gets away with murder because he's still a little bit too stubborn than he should be. But, um, but that is, yeah, when you're researching breeds and And I knew for myself with my schedule that I wouldn't be able to fulfill the dog's needs, you know, Mm -hmm. for as much as if I'm going hunting a couple times in the fall, bird hunting, just with my travel schedule and everything else that I do, I just didn't have um, the time to give to the dog what the dog needed. And that's why I, at this point in my life, still don't have um, a gun dog. And I, you know, I love them. I think they're fabulous, but I would feel bad. So you know, I chose the French bulldog breed cause they need, you know, a good 20 minute walk, you know, twice a day. And we do that every single day. So, um, but yes, it's, it's, we need more dog trainers out in the world, really training humans more than the dogs. But, um, so I think the work that you're doing is, is really fantastic. And I know you also have classes and things that do you do just straight obedient group obedience group classes or do people have to work with you just one-on-one? How does, how does your format work? Yeah. So that's, that's a great question. I primarily focus on serious behavior cases. So, um, working with the field dogs is, is something that I do for fun, um, because behavior cases can get exhausting. Um, but yeah, so I deal with, uh, fears, phobias, anxiety, um, you know, reactive dogs. We have, it's very common that will people will have dogs that react to other dogs on leash on walks yes, um, and things like that. So I primarily focus on that because I have the two businesses and my other one focuses on behavioral health of dogs and cats. So I do a lot of dog introductions to cats as well. Oh, so cool. that's my main, my, my, a lot of my time is spent helping people with, with dogs that really need some, some serious behavior help. Well, can we um, and this, stop for a second yeah. and talk about the, cause this is going to be so handy for so many people when the, the leash aggression Yeah, and what, so I of course take my dog for a lot of walks and I see this all the time where people, um, they don't correct their dogs when they, they are having some sort of outburst on the leash or to get them to at least calm down and not go to zone nine or, you know, the red zone or whatever. But also you see on the opposite side of that, if they know their dog's going to react, what they do is they just drag the dog away and cross the street. Or then they're the person themselves is in fear of what the dog's reaction is going to be versus 
my approach is I want my dog to make the mistake so I can make the correction so they learn. Otherwise, mm-hmm. your dog never learns, right? So um, what is your approach on some of the leash aggression? Because I you just see this everywhere with all dogs. Yeah. Well, I, it's more common in the United States. Uh, I did study some dogs, dogs overseas, and what I noticed is this is a common problem in the U.S., the reason it is, is because our dogs are more confined. Um, they're, they, we have leash laws. So if you're in the city, they're always on a leash. They're very rarely off a leash. If you talk to, you say, your grandparents or people that lived outside of the city, you very rarely had dogs that had issues on leash. So if you think about that, if there were farm dogs, they were always off doing chores, off leash. Sure. Okay. The dogs were just off leash all the time. They got used to that. And, and certain other countries are like this too. Say you go to Ireland, you might be in the pub and then there's the dog off the leash. Yeah. Um, so this has really become a, an, an issue in the United States uh, over the past, you know, I would say a couple decades because we've created this problem where the dogs aren't allowed to greet anymore. They don't know how to greet. They don't know how to behave appropriate off, off a leash because their owners don't even know, Hey, that was a good idea to teach boundaries. Um, and so I always start puppies off on, on teaching boundaries of the yard and things like that, but people don't know how to do these techniques anymore. So we've really created the problem. And um, so when dogs are seeing other dogs, it's oftentimes, not always, dogs that are overly frustrated because they're used to getting to be able to greet dogs whenever they want. And so they don't know how to behave appropriately. So it turns into frustration may lead to aggression. Um, so think about it as like you were saying, it's one to 10 zone, right? Yeah. So some dogs see other dogs and they go, ruff, 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 that's so exciting. And then that's it. Where yep. other dogs, they've learned... I can never greet the other dog. I'm so frustrated. And now I'm turning into barking and snarling. And that issue only happens on the leash. So these dogs may be fine off a leash. They may be, be fine at a, like a doggy dake or a dog park. And so it, thinking about like, how can we not create those problems in the first place? Um, you know, so teaching, as, as, especially if you get a puppy, teaching proper socialization, proper like on-leash and off-leash handling skills. So it, it's more than just the problem itself addressing. It kind of goes back to all that stuff I just talked about. The Sheriff family enjoys spending a lot of time outside. Hence, we care what goes into our environment. That's why we support propane, the energy for everyone. Did you know that propane produces fewer greenhouse gas emissions than electricity generated on the U.S. grid? Propane's emissions are 43% fewer. That's a lot. Propane is clean, dependable, and affordable. Plus, it's produced right here in the USA. Let's all do our part to reduce emissions from our homes, cabins, and businesses by choosing propane, the right energy right now. To learn more about propane, the energy for everyone, go to propane.com. Hi there, Ron Shera here for Star Bank. If you're putting your money into mega banks down the street, who knows where that money's being used? Bank locally. Keep your money local with a community bank that actually cares about you, your family, your business, and your goals. Check out the bank we use at Minnesota Bound. Try Minnesota's own Star Bank. You can find them online at starbank.net. When you call Star Bank, you actually hear a real living person answering the phone. 
StarBank has 10 convenient locations around Minnesota to serve you and all the mobile banking products that you need to manage your money. Check out all that StarBank has to offer at StarBank.net. Hey, I'm really picky when it comes to my drinking water, and I have the reverse osmosis drinking water system from Connecticut, and I love it. It takes out contaminants in the water, it removes chlorine, and most important, it tastes great, which is the one thing I'm probably most picky on is how does my water taste. So having Kinetico also means that I use less plastic water bottles, which we all know is a definite bonus for our environment. For more information, visit Kinetico.com to find a dealer near you. It's so fascinating. I could talk to you for hours. (laughs) (laughs) You know, I see is you go to a dog park and you see the dynamic between um, dogs and their owners and then the dogs that have some behavioral issues in the dog park. And, you know, there's so many owners out there that are either clueless or they don't know what to do to correct the problem. So instead they talk to the dog as if the dog speaks English and they're like, (laughs) Charlie, don't do that. What are you doing? Stop (laughs) thinking that's going to do anything other than, you know, the dog hears a soft, kind voice and it's thinking it's getting praised for the behavior or the same thing on the leash when a dog is, being for lack of a better word, like leash, leash aggression or excitement and those types of things where they're like, it's okay. It's okay. It's okay. And they think they're doing a soothing behavior on behalf of the dog when they're actually just feeding it. You're doing a great job. <laughs> yeah. So, some of it, 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 it's where the dog's state of mind is. Um, sure. So if the, if the dog's state of mind is in, you know, I use a scale, you know, like a, in the red zone, like you talked about, the dog's in fight or flight mode. There's not much occurring at that point. Um, and so it's hard to learn. Now, if the dog's in, you know, a arousal state, but it's still excited state, then, you know, then we can do the work. I always say, like, is your dog in the, in the, in the line to do work? Sure. Yeah, that's true. Because if they get into a state where they're really in the red zone, then it's almost like their brain isn't even capable of taking in information at the time other than I'm going to fight this or fight yep. or fight it. Right. Yep. Think about two people in a fist fight. Nobody's listening. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> That's so true. Well, um, we have so many more topics we could talk about. Inga, I'm for sure going to have you back on the Minnesota bound podcast because you also do, um, shed dog hunting training. And in fact, um, the reason Inga and I have been even how we met is I am going to be filming a Minnesota bound episode with you on your forage and field dog training classes. And I, um, for a few years now, I said, there's got to be someone in Minnesota that has been training their dog to hunt morel mushrooms. Someone has got to be doing this. And I couldn't <laughs> find anybody for years. And I fell upon your page. And I'm like, this is it. I found her. So, um, <laughs> And I know you have classes coming up this spring, so I want our listeners to be able to um, jump in on those if they're interested. So just, you know, chat briefly with us about your forage and field dog training classes that you have. Yeah, this is super exciting. Um, People, you know, the morel mushroom, Minnesota, the morel mushroom is it. I mean, people, yeah, they really love, they really love it. Um, I got into teaching this because I went to teach a positive gun dog seminar in Seattle and the woman that hosted me teaches, um, truffle hunting and she took me out truffle hunting and she said, Oh, it was so much fun to watch the dogs truffle hunt. 
I she bet. She said, you can do this. I said, we don't have truffles. She said, Inga, you have morels. I said, oh my gosh, what? brilliant. So let's <laughs> do it. Let's do it. So I put the course together, um, you know, based on what I know about scent work and then what I know about field dogs. There's lots of people that love to do what we call nose work with their dogs. It's a sport. Um, but because I want something useful. So I want to, I want to get a bounty with my dog when I'm in the field. So uh, teaching my dog to find uh, morale mushrooms is, is a lot of fun. So that's what we're focusing on in this introduction class. I call it forage and field dog class because the, the intro class is morels. So we, we teach the dogs to find the morel mushroom, to locate it, what we call an indication. And then we're able to collect our harvest from that. And then if they continue the class or if they want to continue beyond the introduction, we can focus on other um, mushrooms that we find here in Minnesota. That is so cool. I can tell you that class is going to take off because those people that hunt for morel mushrooms know how difficult it is to, you know, really find them with the naked eye. And when you have a dog with a nose that's a million times better than yours, that can go find them probably in record speed. My goodness, yeah. watch out. <laughs> yeah, it's been it's been a lot of fun. Yeah, we've got a couple classes um, coming up. They're actually filling up really fast. And the first one's full now. Uh, and so I've got a second class. Um, and the information's on the website for sign up for that. And then I yeah, do have a remote class. Yeah, it's positivegundogsmn.com. Perfect. Yeah. And what is it? Oh, we have a remote class. So I've got somebody joining from Duluth or different parts that maybe they can't make it to Bloomington for an in-person class. So we do teach a remote class as well. Awesome. Well, I have to tell you, I Minnesota Bound and um, myself, we're very excited to film your class in May. And then we're going to meet up again to watch all the students, the dog students, um, do their thing later in May when we're finding, when the mushrooms start popping. That's the thing with those morels. Like, yep. When you get the day, you got to go. When you get the calling, you got to go because it's, it's it's a few short hours because when people are out there and they find their spots, those mushrooms are gone. <laughs> yep. Yep. That is awesome. true. Awesome. Well, Inga, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast today. Um, again, you are a wealth of information. Um, I am excited to have you back on the podcast. We're going to continue this conversation with, you know, positive gun dog, um, training, including some of the other things you do with shed dog training. And also we'll kind of deep dive into the forage and field dog classes. Once we, um, film that for Minnesota bound, we'd love to have you back on again to chat about that. Cause, um, I, I tell you, there are so many people that, you know, love their dogs deeply and they want to have, you know, the best canine companion that they can. And, um, always working on your skills as a human, you know, companion to your dog so that you can be a better dog parent is, is imperative to um, a good relationship. So. Excellent. Well, thank, thanks for having me on today. Awesome. Thank you. And once again, thank you to our sponsors, Minnesota Propane, Hewitt Docks, Connecticut, and Star Bank. And last but not least, don't forget to introduce a kid to the great outdoors. Mm-hmm.